This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Miles Danhausen Jr., writer and editor at the Peninsula Pulse. I'm here today with John Nelson, who's come here from the, he's getting prepped for the Chris Kendall market up in Sister Bay. He's got a, a really busy couple of weeks behind him and a, a really busy couple of weeks ahead of him. John, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Miles. This is a pleasure. <laughs> a, uh, I'm surprised you have the time to do this, actually. John, you're the owner of Door Guide Publishing. A lot of people in Door County just know you from stopping in their stores, and obviously you've been in the marketing business and the events business up here for a long time. But the Chris Kindle market is pretty new. Last year, kicked it off. A lot of people didn't know what the heck it was, what the heck it was going to look like in Sister Bay. But, I mean, you just had a massive event that really changed December up here. <laughs> Yeah, I have to say it totally gobsmacked us <laughs> when that first day, which was uh, the day after Thanksgiving last year, 2021, thousands, literally thousands of people showed up that first day. We didn't even know if the marketing was working yet, you know? <laughs> and so we had the predictable first day problems that really I've been spending the last few weeks trying to fix for this year. <laughs> yeah. Well, really the last year. I mean, I, I know oh, yes. like in the immediate aftermath of the event, I was at a Sister Bay Village meeting and, you know, you're already addressing parking. They're already, well, where are you going to put everybody next year? And that's a good problem to have if you put on an event and you, your first question is, how do we handle that many people versus how do we make it actually cool? You know, like there's, right. I know I was surprised my, uh, my brother for years has talked about how Door County needed something like this because he lives in Belgium and he, you know, he's been seeing it over there for years. And he came back to our pond hockey tournament once and said, and, and my brother's an engineer, so he can think this way, but he's like, oh, we should make all these mobile huts that we could bring out onto the ice and we'll do the market on the ice. And I'm like, it's really hard just to bring the hockey goals out on the, these rinks. Like, I don't know if <laughs> right. we can handle all this. And I didn't know. I'm like, yeah, can you get people up here in December? It's like the old, you know, for decades, people have talked about that. How do you make something in the off season in Door County? How do you bring people up here in the winter? The weather is not always consistent. You can't count on snow and all these things. And we learned it years ago, like the pond hockey tournament, you just give people something goofy to do and they'll do it. And Fish Creek Winter Games have been doing that for, for years now. But that's kind of the thing you were grappling with too, because December, even Thanksgiving weekend, a lot of people used to come home. You might have a couple busy nights in the bar at the AC Tap or something like that, but there was not a heck of a lot going on. And People have tried for years a little bit with holidays, capture the spirit, some small things, local things. But you guys do Chris Kendall Market. And I guess, how did this idea germinate with the Sister Bay Historical Society? Right. So I joined the board probably four years ago, I think, Sister Bay Historical Society. Just, you know, your generic board member. And the thing that uh, occurred to me looking at our finances was that we needed more money, for one thing, because <laughs> all those buildings are expensive to maintain, even though we have a great carpenter, a guy named Bob Jischke, yeah, who a lot of people know. Awesome guy. Yeah, awesome guy. And then I looked at the property and said, why aren't we using this more, you know, in a remunerative way, so to speak? And there's a lot of reasons for why we weren't. You know, the organization started out in a certain way did certain things, had docent tours. I don't think it had ever considered having major events. 
And I was pretty much fresh off the heels of Uncork Summer, which, you know, we had to cancel three times in a row during <laughs> COVID and thought, oh, maybe we should have an event here. But, you know, not a food event in the summer, something that uh, brings us to the off season. That's always been kind of a preoccupation of mine, which is, I mean, just because it's there, like, why can't we have more than a five-month season, I guess <laughs> yeah. would be the question. And uh, I had been in Salzburg a few years earlier on vacation in November of all times when they were erecting their Chris Kindlemark, which I had never even heard of until that point. And they had this huge village square littered with huts that hadn't been erected. And I slowly saw this thing be erected with all these little cute huts, and I could just kind of picture what it was going to be. You know, I mm -hmm. mean, it's, it's an obvious place they were going with all this and talked to people there and thought, man, this is something that Door County should have. That's mm -hmm. kind, That was kind of the inspiration. And then I forgot about it for years <laughs> <laughs> and uh, came back here, was on the board, and decided to give it a shot. So, you know, we built a couple of huts that first year. They w turned out not to be huts in the traditional sense that vendors would use. We used one for a drinks hut, and we used one for our own products hut. But then I went through the process of, you know, getting other board members to agree that we could use the buildings, historical buildings, and the thing snowballed. I think I think the, the vision of it became apparent to people fairly quickly. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, still no signs of whether it would be a success. We did not know that at all. You know, there was no prescience on this. We just <laughs> did it. But got a gem grant pretty quickly. Yeah. And just and it, like, tell people what a gem grant is. So a gem grant is a joint enterprise marketing grant. It's an award of money where, based on what you think your marketing expenses are going to be, you are reimbursed seventy five percent of it by the state of Wisconsin. We had one for Uncork Summer, and we I think the first year we got something over. I mean, I think our gross was over twenty thousand dollars. This one we actually got. It's in the public domain. No reason not to say it. We got thirty-three thousand mm -hmm. dollars, so we got about twenty-two thousand dollars of our marketing expenses returned after we applied for them. And the interesting thing about that is that, I mean, at least if you're in marketing, you know, marketing costs money. I mean, yeah. that's just the equation. You know, it's like everybody knows what the good ideas are. Creativity comes into it, but if you can't afford it, you can't do it. Yeah, you know, that's whether it's social media or a website or advertising in the pulse or whatever. And so it just really opened up the doors, I have to say. I mean, yeah. there was a lot of ideas I wanted to try for years with Uncork, but after the first year, you only get half the money yeah. uh, that you got the first year, and then the next year you get half of that. So this was our first year. And these grants are made to help people boost new events, and they, were, they kind yes. of started... I don't know if they've been around a lot, a lot longer than this, but I kind of became aware of them about 10 years ago. They were made to boost tourism as Wisconsin started to realize, hey, we can we can do more with tourism. That's going to be a bigger facet of our economic engine. Yes. And the idea was to help launch an event, but not basically pay the ongoing costs. Correct. You know, so it's like those first couple startup years to help people get the word out about something and hopefully create cornerstone events going forward. Because presumably you're, you know, if you're a success, you're going to be able to fund your own marketing. And afterwards. you're making this wider, it's wider economic impact. So you can't yes. be like an individual business. I want to market my product, but you can be a community-based event that is going to draw people who are going to stay in hotels and do all these other things. So that's where, that's why the grant money is there is so it, because of that larger economic impact. Yes. And so, and so you have to be either be a 501c3 
or have an alignment with a 501c3 that agrees to accept your money yeah. and pay it out to you. And the other, the other foundation of these things is that, uh, I mean, from the state's viewpoint, is you're trying to get people to move. You're trying to get them to move across the state, come from Eau Claire to Door County, or from Green Bay to Duluth. Because in movement, there's people spending gas, and they're stopping at quick marts and buying things to eat, and then they're going to the destination and spending yeah. a lot more money. So in that movement, which I totally subscribe to, so... When we did the marketing for this Christmas, when people wonder why did so many people come, it really is because of that gem grant. We were able to do a number of things. Plus, I had some trade-outs with various people because the business I'm in as a publisher. Yeah. I had trade-outs uh, that allowed us to have digital billboards in Green Bay and some Shepherd Express advertising. But we were also able to pay for some expensive Facebook ads and a number of other things. Uh, Spectrum TV commercials that we ran in the Milwaukee wow. market. And uh, some of the WFRV, the CBS station, the thing that totally astounded me was that we, because I've always been a print guy, I haven't, yeah. I haven't done much in TV, was that we ran these ads with WFRV. I think it was a very reasonable program. We spent the money wisely. And I'm watching CBS Sunday morning and our ad runs. And I was like, oh, my God, this event is going to kill it <laughs> because we're reaching a huge audience. Yeah, you know, CBS far beyond and, what you thought you were going to. Right. I mean, it's all about reaching people, you know. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to tell our story. And like we were talking before, before we went on air, we lucked out with creating some imagery, branding. You know, we did a visualization of what the event would look like. And remarkably, it looked just like it did look a lot like, Yeah. And for those who are unfamiliar with it, Corner of the Past is, it's outside of the village. So what you talk about, the, the traditional setup for these in European communities is kind of in the center, in the town square. Chicago does a Chris Kindle market right downtown. And I think someone told me like years ago that Al Johnson's used to go to that actually and kind of spread the Door County word and Door County brand down there. And it's kind of same idea as yours. It's much more compact. It's basically in a big concrete area. What you have is actually more unique. And I, I'm sorry to say you, I should say what the Sister Bay Historical Society has, because you're doing this as a board member with the Historical Society. But corner of the past location on the corner of uh, Country Lane and Highway 57, before you head into Sister Bay, it's been there for like 30 years as like the Historical Society's campus. Really got its start when... Uh, an old teacher of mine, Mr. Lee, did some of the rehab on, and, and a good crew of volunteers did a lot of rehab on an old house there and got that started. And it was, you know, some little cabins from Liberty Park Lodge when, when that was moved, little donations of old uh, kind of pioneer days tools and, and sawmill sheds and things like that. And you've made a really cool museum in the barn there with some old historical photos of Sister Bay. That's the first time I really kind of got into the history of Sister Bay was actually going up there once for a farmer's market when my parents used to do the market there and then wandering through that barn and seeing these old images of Sister Bay. I think a lot of them provided by Mitch Larson at On Deck and just kind of gives you, it's a really cool space for people to journey out there, even if they're not going to this market, but in the summertime, just getting a grasp of what Sister Bay started as and some of that historical element of it. And then they've done a nice job of preserving those buildings and bringing all these pieces together. And so when you start putting this market together, you have all these little cabins. So even though it's not the traditional temporary huts for all of them, like they do in, the, in some of these other markets, the cabins function as almost a better version of that, these old historic buildings. Oh, yes. And, and you know, they're all sizes. I mean, 
we have uh, a couple that probably only two people can be in simultaneously, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> literally. Yeah, it was tight sometimes, Yeah, but that's cool. It's cozy. Yeah, it's cozy and easy, easier to heat because they have to be heated, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think we had too many complaints about all that. I mean... I'm sure it's not what people exactly expected, but traditional Chris Kindle marks, you don't go into the booths. You know, no. there's a hut, there's a window, you look at the things on the shelves and you buy something yeah. that way. And that's so we started off in a slightly different direction by having all these buildings in a big tent. It was uh, 30 by 45 last year. And even though I said we we're not going to expand it that much this year, now we have a bigger tent, of course, <laughs> 30 by 60. And uh, probably, I mean, almost twice as many vendors as last year. And that's wow. just... So how many vendors do you have there? So we have 40 this year. Last year we had in the low 20s probably. You're up to 25. And last oh. year you're probably begging everybody to give this a shot. And now you're, people are begging you to get in. That's the reversal. It's been, it's been nice to see that because we do want to, not to be, you know, to uh, leverage it, except in one way, which is that part of the vision for this event was we would have Door County local, even to the extent of, not exclusively, but, you know, it's primarily Northern Door because we're in Sister Bay, to have vendors who in some fashion make what they sell, you know, so it's kind of artisans in other words. And I would say the first year we had primarily that, but this year we have even more of that. So it's people who literally, you know, they have a workshop or a home where they work in, whatever, a lot of the stuff there is made, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, I mean, I think that's the, probably the thing that people have responded to. I mean, in addition to the aesthetics of this event, which, you know, it is like a Hallmark movie, the products have kind of astounded people, I think, because it's a proprietor making things, bringing them out. And of course, that's the big problem when you're an artisan. How do I market and get this stuff sold? Where does it go to? Yeah. You can get into other retailers sometimes, but that's one of the things I like most about the event is that we're giving a like an economic shot to people who have a business problem, yeah. essentially. How do I reach a large audience with whatever my things are? And so I, I think it performs a function that's uh, hopefully in support of the arts in that respect. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwani counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. Yeah, I mean, you're taking, last year, you're an estimated 10,000 people over the three weekends that you did this, and you're putting them right in front of a lot of these, you know, people that would have small galleries or artisan food shops, or maybe they make jams or something like that. For those people to get 10,000 people in front of their wares is a difficult proposition. So yes. you're bringing it to them, and, and hopefully they're able to sell the stuff when those people are in front of them. Then it's up to you as a vendor. But, well, first of all, we should let people know, like, when is this taking place? What sure. are your, what weekends, what hours? Yep. So the, the basics to the event are it starts the weekend of November 25th. It's three days, 25th to 27th. So it starts a day after Thanksgiving, and then it's open the next two weekends in December, which is December 2nd to the 4th, also a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and December 9th to the 11th, again, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. 
The hours on Fridays and Saturdays are from 11 to 7. The first two weekends, the third weekend, Friday and Saturday, 11 to 6, because traffic does start to slow down a little bit on that third weekend. Yeah. And then Sunday is 11 to 3, just okay. for four hours. But that's still a lot of hours to you know, be in your feet selling products at it's, 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 I'm sure it's grueling for these vendors. Oh, sure. I mean, I, I know it from working the door County pond hockey tournament when you're out there in the winter all day, even if you're in the tent, I mean, you're getting cold. It's a different kind of work than sitting in your shop. Yeah. Um, you also have shuttles because with the enormous number of people who came last year, obviously you need to have them park somewhere. There's not a ton of parking directly on that lot. So you're going to have, I think, three shuttle locations where people can park and, and catch a ride. And we'll have those details in the Pulse. You guys have that available in a lot of different places. So you can park and ride in. And it's really a kind of thing, you know, I went actually a couple times last year. I brought When I had family visiting, I brought them back a second time. And you happened to hit it last year where there was like snow falling each weekend too. So it's, this is a very Rockwell-esque uh, portrait that was out there. Hopefully you get lucky like that again. But yep. It's really a thing I would say like people can easily plan to go there for a couple of hours. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Walk around. There's fire pits there. You can sit around a fire, warm up, go inside the barn, check out some of the history stuff. You have the old Anderson house open and you have a, like a, a bakery sale, a baked goods sale. Santa was there a couple times last year. You're going to have live music this year. So there's a lot yes. of different things versus, hey, this is a store I'm going to pop in, pop out. Uh, I think people should think of it as more of like soaking in the experience, walking around and, and really checking out a lot of different things for a couple of hours. It is a Christmas experience. I mean, there's, I, I would say in the average people probably do stay a couple hours. Yeah. What really surprised me was how many people, both tourists and especially locals, returned like three, four times over the course of the nine days. It was like it struck a chord is what that told me, Yeah. where it was a pleasant place to be. You know, despite yeah. the fact you're outdoors, maybe it gets cold at certain times, but you can't duck indoors. And uh, the tent, especially for anyone who gets cold, is very warm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for anybody who remembers Zeke Jackson, he came back because he's opened up a honey company. And uh, he was in a tank top during uh, <laughs> during his sojourn as one of our vendors who was so so warm in the... Uh, I don't know about seeing Zeke in a tank top. It was, <laughs> it was kind of unpleasant, but... Uh, <laughs> and uh, one other way that we're bringing people to the event... Besides the three lots you mentioned, it's First Baptist's Sister Bay, the former Shopko lot, and Stella Maris Catholic Church, uh, except on Sundays, of course, at the two churches. <laughs> the shuttle will find you there, bring you over to the event, and then you return on the shuttle, pick up your car. That seems silly to me after the first year to make all of the traffic have to follow that because there's a lot of people in hotels for the event. So mm -hmm. we have a bus shuttle specifically for the hotels. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, and we have most Keep the cars from even leaving the lot. From even leaving the lot. So you walk out the door of your hotel. Every half hour, the shuttle comes by. It's a Sister Bay bus we're using. Takes you directly to the event, drops you off, picks you up whenever you want to go. Every half hour, you can leave, come back to whatever hotel you're staying in. And I think we have almost all the hotels both one in Ephraim, which is the high point because it's so close to Sister Bay, and then six or seven or eight other Sister Bay hotels on this route. So it'll be very fast, and then we don't put more pressure on our parking lots either. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. And then you guys, the way you put this on, it's a ton of volunteers. Yes, correct? 90 of them last year. Wow. Yeah. And uh, imagine if a lot of your historical society board, when I was there last year, you saw a lot of those familiar faces. Yes. And I, I don't know, people on this podcast have heard me talk about this before, but, you know, these societies are, they're preserving such important parts of our communities, and it's a lot of people who are 
retirees who put in a ton of time. They're really passionate about it, whether it's Egg Harbor, Ephraim, Sister Bay, Liberty Grove. And I can't say enough about the work they do because if, if they're not doing it, like we're losing things. Yeah. You know, yeah. You think of everything that's at that corner of the past would have been gone if these folks hadn't fought to preserve it over the last 30 years. You know, volunteers of a certain age are the hottest commodity in Dory County <laughs> arts, really. Yeah. Everybody wants them. Everybody needs more. We've managed to get 90 of them last year. And they fulfill roles like monitoring the parking lot, telling people <laughs> whether they can come in if you're a vendor or not. The drinks hut, the products hut, uh, the bakery in the Anderson house, Garbage detail, maintenance, lad handing, greeters. It's it's amazing. All how the many lights people, you guys put up out there. Every, the, every, the heat, yes. everything that's going on, keeping the fires going. Everything takes a person. Tom Sadler, who's a retired police uh, officer and executive in Chicago, in mm-hmm. the Chicago PD. And former Sister Bay Village president. Yes, and very, very smart guy. He's our lighting guy. And he, he's at 82 years old. He climbs up on ladders and strings Christmas <laughs> lights, which scares the heck out of me. Oh, but yeah. As yeah. somebody who fell off a, well, it wasn't a ladder, but it was my, uh, my garage bar, fell off my bar putting up Christmas lights last year. I can, I, I feel a risk there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I don't think we touched on this much, but you can also get food there from yes. some local restaurants and you get food and drinks. Yep. What, what kind of food and drink options are you guys going to have? So uh, the food and drink options are Culinaria, who's... Uh, just killed it last year. He yeah. had one of his big walks out there and was making a potato and kielbasa sausage dish. The That's people Scott loved. McAvoy. Scott He's McAvoy been and Jeanette Luvanos. Yes. Really great job he does all the time. And all the way back to his days at T. Ashwell's when he was cooking right. there. So. Yeah, he's he's worked around town. He was at the yeah. White Gull once, I remember. And mm-hmm. Then uh, Time Restaurant, of course, they were with us last year. They're returning. And Excellent. We encouraged, Scott just found his meatie right away with that dish he served last year. Yeah. So he's serving that again. But we did talk to Time, and they're going to serve more of a traditional Chris Kindlemark street food kind of thing. More, okay. more sausage, hold it in your hand kind of thing. Sure. Because we don't have much seating there. So, it's, right. you know, eating on a plate is kind of hard. And then, uh, which I get a real giggle from, Wally's Weenie Wagon is coming. <laughs> but I just mentioned as a joke to him, Wally, you need to change the name of your place if you're going to be in this event. It needs to be something like Walter's Wurstwagen. <laughs> and he created a logo for it. He's gone full in. So it's a Walter's Wurstwagen <laughs> is going to be serving food. And he's serving sausages, too. And then finally, Fika Bakery and Cafe. Excellent. Serving Swedish meatballs. Awesome. Uh, so those are the four hot food uh People, then we're going to have four, there's four packaged goods uh, companies in there. One of them is The Vault, which serves popcorn and, you know, caramel corn. Door County Chocolate Design, Uncle Tom's Candy, and then a kind of a congregation of three businesses that have renamed themselves Three Kitchens for the purposes of this event. Matea Fisher, who has cultured, which makes great, you know, sourdough bread, etc., Clario Farms and Pasta and Collectibles, which is cookies. Yeah, those are awesome. So it's like, I feel like we've got some of the best vendors food-wise, you know, we could get. Yeah, that's a great collection. And yeah. the one thing about doing an event this time of year is they, they can all do it. You, know, you right. and I have both started doing events in different times of the year, and you hit that summer season and nobody's got a minute to spare. Now they're like, hey, I could use a few extra dollars so that you can right. actually have access to some people. Speaking of cultured, uh, I just saw yesterday that she announced that she has a new location taking over the right. Blackbird Bake Shop over on 57. So that's some cool food news for everybody out there. She makes some amazing stuff. She's been doing it sort of pop-up style or 
you know, you place your order with her and you can pick it up from her, but she didn't have like a customer facing location right. for all this time. So yeah, congrats one of, to her. One of our employees uh, exhibits at the Jacksonport market on Tuesdays said that people start lining up for culture before she even opens every, yeah. every day she's there. I bet. Yep. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yep. And then I'm trying to think of what else. Oh, drink wise. Yes. What do you have? I, I know you have some, some beer, wine offerings. Yep. And yep. Beer and wine are the two alcoholic choices. And then uh, hot chocolate, hot apple cider. The traditionally glue wine is served at Chris Kindlemark's, which is very much like Glog, Swedish sure. Glog. Last year, what we served at Chris Kindle Market was Swedish Glog, we called it. But really, it's all the same drink. You know, it's a mixture of red wine, port, spices, a little bit of sugar, orange peel, cloves, cardamom, etc. And they pretty much taste all the same. But this year, we're calling it uh, the German contingent in our planning committee insisted we call it glue wine this year to honor their their backgrounds. And uh, so we'll be serving it in the drinks hut last year. We sold thousands and thousands of this delicious <laughs> hot concoction, and we'll have handcrafted beers from Flanagan. Again, Oktoberfest, I know we're going to have, and uh, oh, and St. Bernardus, uh, oh. which anybody who ever went to Beerzot is fond of St. Bernardus, I believe. Yeah. And then a couple other beers. So Excellent. Yeah. So that set up to be a really great weekend. Hopefully the weather is perfect for you guys again. Again, the dates on this are November 25th through the 27th. December 2nd through the 4th, December 9th through the 11th. We'll be putting out a lot of information about it in the Pulse each week, so you can check our calendar. I encourage anybody to check it out. It is It was a great event last year, and for somebody who has spent so many winters up here, when, you know, the Fall Fest ends, you, you wake up that Monday and you look down the street and you would just see emptiness. You know, there's there's a relief that comes to that for a lot of people, but especially when I was a younger guy, a single guy, You'd look down the street and settle in for a, a pretty dark, depressing winter. And now things like this that are bringing some excitement, bringing some, something to do, bringing more people up here, I just think it's, it's great to do it. I know some people have their battles with uh, more tourism, whatever. But, you know, when you go to these things, yes, there are a lot of, of visitors, but there's a lot of locals there, too, walking around. People, cohorts of my age, walking around with their kids at something like this and creating memories that they're going to bring their families back to. So hopefully this is something that is around a long time for now. You know, I, one thing I'd like to mention too uh, that I forgot was to mention the music, which is going to be special. Oh, sure. Last year we had Kira Mall who brought in various collaborators, you know, Jeannie Coons and um, Zephyr Caesar uh, to sing Christmas carols with her on, on the barn stage. This is the food barn at sure. the event. This year, achieve something I've always wanted to do, which is to have for an event, which is to get a Gibraltar involved mm. and, and help their music boosters primarily. So Mary Bondison and Charlie Eckert have brought together both a Gibraltar choir and Gibraltar band that will be performing on Saturdays from noon to two on each of the three weekends of the event. And Charlie, and then uh, Charlie will have the band alternating with the choir. And on Fridays and Saturdays, a guy who's fairly recently moved back to Door County, David Watkins, mm -hmm. is doing sets from 3 to 5 every Friday and Saturday except the 3rd of December. And he spins vintage uh, music so huh. his with a specialty in Christmas music. So he'll be doing, you know, spinning old 78s and 33s, et cetera, from the 20s, 30s, 40s. 
of Christmas music. Okay. So that's kind of exciting and cool just because it's so different, you know? Yeah. Yep. Excellent. Yep. Well, I think we've covered the gamut on this. I did want to give you a, an opportunity to talk about some of the other historical society events going on because this is ultimately a program of the Sister Bay Historical Society. And it's not the only thing you guys have going on. It's kind of really ramped up for you guys in a couple of years here. You have the the Sister Bay Barn, the old little sister barn, that just broke ground the other day for the foundation for that. What is the status of that? Go ahead and plug any fundraising effort you guys have going on. Sure. Okay, so when people arrive at Chris Kindlemark, they'll see a giant banner on the side of the barn and uh, that gives you a website you can go to and donate money to for the move of the barn and, and information about why we're doing it, what it is. Ultimately, what it is is we moved the little sister barn from uh, its former location over to Corner of the Past and are planning to turn it into, after the fundraising is completed, into a history center. So it'll be a history center for Sister Bay. It'll be, you know, a rather large structure. The ground was broken and the foundation is about to be poured. We're trying to get it all, all of that part done before the market opens, of course. And uh, we've got some great people who are Stephanie Burke and Paula Anschutz and Bob and Trudy Jischke and various people who are reaching out to the community now. We're out of the quiet period of working with the Community Foundation in terms of raising money. And for anybody who's interested in Sister Bay having its own history center and converting this barn into it, it's a great opportunity to, to get involved. You know, there's there's a lot of, it's a, it brings up a whole other range of uh, volunteering needs for us and donation needs, uh, both, you know, both in terms of artifacts and in terms of money. So, mm-hmm. That's, you know, one of the things that uh, we're going to do to support that is when you walk into the food barn, on your right in the barn will be a table with a couple of people who are involved in the fundraising and the planning for this thing, purely informationally, not not to raise money necessarily, but more just to talk about it for, with members of the public who are interested, whether they're local residents or not from away, and explain what this thing is. It's it's a big deal. It's kind of a raising of the game for the Sister Bay Historical Society, which has uh, you know been slowly you know increasing its reach over the yeah. years. And now we have a, like you said, we have a lot of things going on, but that requires people. <laughs> yeah, required volunteers. It requires you know eventually some you know you get a history center off the ground. You probably need a paid staff at some point with something right. like that. So it changes your organization. It's an evolution for the organization. But as you see in a place like say the Ephraim Historical Foundation, where they have a long established tradition there of, of their dedication to preserving their their village and their and their history, what that has become over. 50, 60, 70 years there. So that might be the direction Sister Bay is in 50 years from now. (laughs) I totally agree. In fact, I joke that when I give the elevator speech about what we just talked about, about the barn and the history center, I basically just say, we want to be like the Ephraim Historical Foundation. That's it. You know, I mean, because that's kind of where it's aiming. It's in terms of staff and having uh, a great place to preserve artifacts and access and tours, et cetera. They're doing it all. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Best of luck with that effort. And for those coming into Sister Bay, that's where the, you know, that big barn you see on the left that's kind of up on stilts, that's what's going on with that. And no, the progress has not stalled. It's just waiting for those moves take time. <laughs> getting getting things in place, get, uh, getting workmen in place up here nowadays is, is tough. So good for you guys. Hopefully you see that thing moved over to its foundation pretty soon. And then it's the, the long road to, to renovating it and turning it into what it will be in the future. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. 
Well, John, thanks for taking the time to join us here on the podcast and, and telling us all about it. Good luck with the event, and I will see you there, I'm sure, at least one of these weekends. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.